where we talk about the culture war, politics, and anything else that might come up. And today we have a very special guest, the host of the Irreverent Podcast, the Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin. Jamie, thanks so much for doing the show. Nick, thank you for having me on. I'm really happy and excited to be here. So uh, it's great to be on this platform, this new platform you've started. So um, thank you. Well, thanks for doing it. Um, Would it be fair to describe you as a a based vicar? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I saw somebody, uh, well, after I was on um, uh, James Dellingpole's podcast, somebody described me as a based vicar. That was a couple of years ago. I just, if I went on Dellingpole now, I'm not sure, I don't know, I don't know if I'd be based enough for his audience, but, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, you're, it's not for me to say, is it? Because it's a compliment, isn't it, Nick, I think? So am I Am I based? I mean, uh, let, let me put it this way. Um, compared to most vicars in the Church of England... I think I'd be I'd be considered based, but I'm not really sure that's saying very much. Yeah, I think you're based, and it's funny though. Good point. If you went back on James now, you'd be the normie vicar who yeah, thinks I'd that be, like yeah. maybe dinosaurs are real. Actually, yeah. maybe you don't think dinosaurs yeah. are real as a Christian. I don't no, know. No, 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 I do, I do. I'm pretty convinced <laughs> dinosaurs are real. Although I, 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 I'm yet to hear. I've heard James saying they're not real, but I haven't I haven't heard him say why they're not real. So I'd be interested to. Because I, you know, I've, I've been to the Natural History Museum. You know, I've watched Jurassic Park, so I've seen I've seen the images of the dinosaurs. But you know, I'm I'm open-minded. You know, come on, convince me. I mean, do you know why they're not real? Well, I think it's something to do with them being like anti-Christian propaganda. That's what I think. I'm not sure if James believes that. That's my belief, and I haven't done any research at all. Yeah, no, I know, I know. That's what. Uh, yeah, James believes that that's the purpose of the 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 purpose of the idea of dinosaurs, isn't it? But what I mean is, what's the what is James's argument? you know, his, his sort of evidential argument. How does he know? What are the fossils? Are they just, I mean, what, what are they? Where do they come from? Are they just bones that are just pieced together? I just, you know, that's the bit I don't know. Do you see what I mean? The real question, Jamie, is who put them there and why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I didn't know we were going to start with the dinosaurs, but it's, it's a good start. Um, it's fine. There's so many things I want to ask you, but I thought maybe we could just start with, sometimes I've asked people how they got into what they're doing. It's, it's quite a relevant yeah. question for you because... Um, I believe you grew up in a Christian family, but you didn't really believe in it yourself. And then at a certain yeah. point, you changed your mind. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. What, yeah why, when did you change your mind, and why? Well, yeah. I mean, so so growing up as um, in a Christian family, so I grew up with my with my mum, who's a Christian, my two brothers. Um, uh, yeah. So I think I've always been, for that reason, sort of sympathetic to the Christian worldview and sort of open to it. If that makes sense. Um, but but. It, when I was growing up, I certainly, you know, I just wasn't a Christian. You know, I just, I was very, very aware of the fact that I wasn't a Christian. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't even that I sort of rejected it or anything like that. It's just that I wasn't interested in it. I was just interested in other other things. I was really interested in, in music when I was growing up, you know, uh, playing in bands and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I I loved, even though I wasn't very good at school, I loved literature and reading and, and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, reading novels. And I used to write all the time and, and want to be a, a professional writer as well. That's another thing I wanted to do. So I was kind of interested in sort of culture and the arts and that kind of stuff. And probably considered myself to be quite edgy but looking back it's probably uh, you know some somewhat of a, a delusional uh, young man anyway when I was um, when I was at university uh, I studied um, English literature and philosophy at university um, for my undergraduate degree and um, 
I just, uh, I mean, it's not, it's not the most sort of interesting story, I suppose, but I just uh, met people who are my own age who are Christians, um, and I started reading the Bible for myself for the first time. I was, I was quite troubled, you know, I was quite a troubled young man. I, I used to, I don't know whether I'd say, you know, I suffered from depression, but I certainly had low moods, um, you know, pretty in, in quite a sort of intense way. But at the time, you know, I kind of considered it to be part of my sort of edgy, sort of artistic persona. But nevertheless, I was pretty, pretty low quite a lot of the time. So it led me to, I suppose, being quite open minded about, you know, maybe I need to maybe I need to rethink this whole thing. So I met people who are Christians uh, just just through being at university, um, started reading the scriptures myself. And um, yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, Nick, just to be totally upfront, I believe I had um, powerful encounters uh, with with the divine uh, through those experiences you know when I went to church for the first time it was um, it was in a charismatic evangelical setting so completely different to the kind of setting I'm in now you know many years later where I'm in a, a high church anglo-catholic setting now but but back then um, yeah I went to church uh, you know as, a, as an adult really for the first time and um, you know it's the kind of church where you know, it's like a happy clappy church to use that kind of terminology. And I don't, I'm just using it because I think people might be familiar with it. I don't mean it in a disparaging way, but, you know, guitars and drums and, you know, sermons which last like 45 minutes and all this kind of stuff. And um, I remember just feeling this this great sense of, of um, cathartic uplift during the during the singing, um, which I'd, I'd never, I'd never experienced anything like it in my life before. And I haven't had such a powerful experience since, but um, it was like a, a weight was lifted from my heart, and um, it was a it was a transformative experience for me. You know, I was 19 years old, um, and other things like that have happened subsequently. But there was a particularly powerful moment for me uh, when that did happen. And then in the reading of the scriptures thing, you know, I was. You know, like I said, I was kind of troubled and I, what I would do is I'd sort of um, stay up, uh, you know, not not being able to sleep or whatever, you know, as an undergraduate, you're sleeping is all, all over the place anyway and I wasn't doing any work because I was one of those types of undergraduates. Um, and I just um, started reading the Psalms and started reading the Gospels um, and I just remember, you know, at night and I just remember being... Uh, confronted for the first first time by the person of Jesus Christ I really for the first time having to having to actually reckon with this man you know who who is this man and and where did this where did this story come from um and it just it just hit me you know it just hit me like a ton of bricks he is who he says he is and uh, I read uh, John uh, chapter 6 which is a, a, a chapter that describes some disciples um, deserting Jesus and Jesus saying to his remaining disciples, you know, are you going to desert me too? And and the apostle Peter replies to him, where's the effect that um, no Lord for to whom shall we go for you have the words of eternal life. And I remember reading these verses and just, and just believing them. And I, I can't, you know, it's hard for me to even articulate what that, what that was like, but just having that sense that this is, this man is who he says he is, you know, and, and I believe this as well. And um, yeah, I had I had these these experiences, and it led me to Christ. It led me to being baptized and uh, to following Him. And so I've been doing that uh, for you know since then. So there you go. Very interesting. What would you say to a cynic who says that what you experienced was just a kind of Tony Robbins sort of uh, you know euphoria, but from the event, from the charismatic event? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I love, I love, um, I love uh, Tony Robbins, but I think he's, I think he's fantastic, and I love that film. Um, I'm not your guru. Have you seen that yeah. film? The, uh, the documentary is, is a brilliant film. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think that this is. Uh, this is something you know. Having when I was in the, I was in that world, the evangelical charismatic world, for many years, and you know, I, I've seen a lot of situations like that where where I've where I've uh, you know I've wondered how much of this is is God or the Holy Spirit, and how much of this is is hype, how much of this is psychological manipulation. So you know, I think one doesn't want to be naive to the reality of that 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 kind of thing. Um, all I can say is that um, all I can say is that, that that experience was genuinely transformative for me, and and in faith, I I believe that that was the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think there's a there's a there's potentially a false dichotomy here, where whereby one might say, well, you know, that's just the uplift of the music. That's just the kind of uh, you know psychological um, situation that was being um uh, brought about by that particular um by that particular style of worship and the way the the way that the church was set up and everything like that but but um who's to say that these things can't be used by god and the holy spirit i mean uh, this is the way god works in the world through through ordinary human things so i think there is an interesting question there about manipulation and about what's genuine and what's not but i don't think there's um these things are, are necessarily mutually exclusive if that makes sense yeah, and it, as you say, it's always very hard to convey it. I mean, I, I had a dream where I saw God and Jesus, and it was definitely wow. them. But imagine trying to convey wow. that to people. I know, it's incredible. But um, I've not been able to convey that either. It was, and I had a, a feeling that I nev- I've never had any, any other time, uh, conscious or unconscious, where it was... Um, what, what, what it was, it was actually a giant cross in the sky was what it was, rather, is how wow. it appeared. And what it was was a strange feeling of... Similar to you mentioned that, that oh it's actually all real and 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 the awe of that but then then a kind of almost a weird fear of that like if it is that changes kind of everything you know, you know that what, what because it, it, it's kind of like it's they were looking at me as well so it's like if God and Jesus are definitely real you might sort of say they are or, or believe it but when to actually sort of feel what that is like that was what the dream was like it was actually feeling the reality of that and it was overwhelming because yeah. it almost sort of frightening to a degree as well as euphoric. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are always things that you can say, aren't there, to counter these kind of things. You know, you, you could always say, well, this is just, you know, this is the product of your your subconscious, you know, there's no, it doesn't, it doesn't prove anything if you have a particularly vivid dream and so on and so forth. But ultimately, it's our, it's our decision as to how we're going to interpret these things. Are we going to interpret them through the, with the eyes of faith, or are we just going to dismiss them? And um, in many ways, I think that's something that comes across. That sort of question is a question that comes up over and over again in the Gospels with the with the different different encounters that Jesus has with people. But um, when did that? Like, how long? How long ago did that happen to you, Nick? Because that's that's really interesting. It was a few years ago when I was doing maybe 2019 when I was doing a show. I believe it was 2019, and I was researching things a lot. And I was watching a lot of videos, of course, about Jesus. And so of course, people say that that's just what was going on. And so yeah. I was really kind of immersed in it. I'm still not very good on the actual theology or, you know, details of the Bible. I'm very poor on. But I was just, I was watching a lot of YouTube videos. I was doing it that way about the Shroud of right. Turin or the, the resurrection. Because I think yeah. the key question is whether you believe in the resurrection. 
And when I've asked yeah. Christians, quite a lot of them go, um, yeah, well, I, uh, I don't know. Or, like, they haven't thought about it. I'm like, I think that's <laughs> mad because to me, that's the key question. But you'd be amazed how many people have asked and they're kind of, they don't have a strong view on it. Were they, were they Anglicans by any chance? One of them was actually a Catholic who came to it later. And, but, but yeah, so, mm. some of them are, are churchmen. I'm trying to think who I asked now. I've asked a few people. Like, and I just remember thinking, why is no one like, more you know, bothered about this? I mean, I'm sure loads of people are that yeah. you know. It just must be the people oh, I yeah, happen to yeah. ask. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's pretty shocking, isn't it, when people are people are unclear about a question like that. But the, one of the interesting things about the thing you said about your dream is you said you saw a cross suspended in the sky. Right. Is that right? And it, it reminds me of, um, you know, the Emperor Constantine, um, who can, who um, converted to Christianity, you know, he's the first Roman emperor, emperor to convert to Christianity in the beginning of the fourth century. Um, the story is that before the battle of, I think it's the battle of Milvian Bridge, which I think was in 312, um, he had a vision of a cross suspended in the sky. And I don't know whether he heard, I think he heard the words in hoc, uh, what is it? In hoc senior, and then something, the word for conquer. But anyway, the word, the word mean, the, the, the Latin phrase means by this sign conquer, right? So I've, I've forgotten what the actual phrase is. But anyway, that thing about the cross suspended in the sky is very reminiscent of uh, the Emperor Constantine's vision. And then of course he, 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 he um, he took the image of the cross into battle on a banner and then uh, won this battle and then he converted to Christianity. And this marked the moment at which um, the Christian religion had grown from a tiny sect, you know, a, a really a handful of people um, to to the the to um, being the official religion of the Roman Empire, which is the, the greatest empire that the world has, has ever seen. So it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing story, really. Wow. And that is interesting. And. Someone I knew who was a hardcore, is a hardcore Christian, suggested that I, I had seen, because I'd been in LA, and actually in yeah. the dream I was driving towards it. So they suggested that I'd actually just seen this, apparently there's a place in LA where you see a big cross if you drive along a certain road. So they claimed I was just remembering, even though they still thought it was very powerful, they said you might be remembering that. I was like, am I just remembering LA? So that was, a, yeah. so, but I prefer your interpretation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're like a new Constantine. Yeah, I like that. Um, maybe maybe yeah. I'll start an empire. But um, the <laughs> the other because and by the way, a few things you said I want to come back to because I also I have an MA in literature. I also was a sort of artsy person. I think it's interesting that artsy people are now on our side of things, whatever you want to call that side. I call it the normal people side. But you know, <laughs> Peterson believes that if you're high in openness, you're sort of uh, you're naturally a liberal and that or a lefty, and that's completely out of date because now. You're much more likely, in my opinion, to be countercultural if you're high in openness, which means you're more likely to be conservative now. So that's a little yeah. pet theory of mine. But the only difference is I've still got the depression. <laughs> but but yeah. I'm, I'm glad you've you've got rid of it to a large extent. So, but what I wanted to pick up on there is the what is see what you think to this little theory of mine. So I was trying to convince Carl Benjamin to be a Christian, right. and he said he was more open to the subjective dream experience than he was the the rational argument I was trying to make which I thought was rational which I was saying it hit me at a certain point watching a lot of Jordan Peterson and things like this I was watching him and he basically had a kind of Christian ethics it was a kind of meta Christianity that he's proposing that has been incredibly successful because it's not Christianity because a new generation of people they they are they have a bad image of Christianity so they won't listen but if he comes in with a kind of Christian ethics they, they're open to listening to it. But the, the mm. flaw of it, to me, was that he doesn't, doesn't really have the spiritual belief or he's very ambiguous about his spiritual belief. So I was thinking, okay, it's yeah. all nice to have the ethics, but you need the actual belief part. And then I suddenly yeah. realized one day, what if you just could 
autonomously or unilaterally decide to believe. And then I suddenly realized maybe that's how it's always been because God's just not going to show up. He did in my dream, but in general, he's not just going to show up and say, here I am. These are the rules to follow. So it's always been about faith. And it's actually been about us upholding God rather than the other way around. And so we should just like adults decide to believe, knowing that it's better for us and better for society. What do you think to that idea? So, I mean, can I just so I just clarify, just clarify what you're trying to say there. So, so. Are you trying to say that you used to think that belief was something that was sort of generated for us by God? Is that what you're saying? And 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 you've kind of you've kind of gone on a thought process which has led you now to the place where you you realise that faith is actually it's actually about taking responsibility yourself for what you believe and and making a conscious decision. Or I'm yeah. just trying to I'm just yeah, trying that to was it because because lots of people say saying. to me things like oh I just don't believe or I just don't feel that way and I sort of think yeah, okay. maybe you haven't made any effort and then later okay. I had that yeah, dream yeah. which seemed to me more like the kind of reward of it but initially it was yeah. a, it was a logical choice I mean it's a little yeah. bit similar to what Peter Hitchens says probably a less advanced version but he just says which world would you rather and you've interviewed him on Irreverent which world would you rather live in one where your actions have moral consequences and meaning or one where it's all just random so he chooses faith over atheism because he prefers that world given there's no evidence for either or not sufficient evidence so so yeah. my thing is similar to that it's it's not exactly the same but it's similar it's like it, it's, a, it's quite similar anyway yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you and i i'm i think i i think i i agree with what you're saying so um what we believe in life more generally uh a lot of the time it is there's a lot of um a lot of the time, the things that we believe are to do with what we prefer. I think that that's I think that that's um, definitely true. Um, so um, whether or not we believe in God is largely to do with our preference as to whether or not God exists. Let's put it that way. Um, and whether or not we believe in Christ is um, is largely to do with our preference as to whether Christ do. Christ is who he says he is or you know whether whether the stories about Christ are true and so on and so forth and again you can you can just you can see this I think when you read through the gospels the way people respond to Jesus it's not most of the time a kind of conversation about rationality or evidence or anything like that it's it's you know who do you say I am and what what are the consequences going to be for you if you really accept that I am who I say I am. There's this great TV show on at the moment called um, The Chosen. I don't know whether you've come across this show, but it's, uh, have you seen this? No, I've heard you mention it. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I, I watched Messiah. Yeah. I've watched Risen. Although, so yeah, I was interested in this Chosen. Yeah, so, it's, so just the point I was going to make is that it just dramatizes this really, really well. If you take a character like Nicodemus, who was like a you know, high-ranking Pharisee and everything like that. So the establishment was a certain way. He had a really you know, high place in it, at least in this dramatized version. And then this, you know, this Jesus comes along. He's a controversial character. And if Nicodemus, you know, if he goes along with it, you see, he's going to lose. He's going to lose everything. He's going to lose his status as a high-ranking Pharisee. He's going to lose the respect of his peers and his underlings. His wife is going to be angry with him, and all of this stuff. It's an embellishment. It's not. It's not all there in the gospel. It's an, imagine, an imaginative embellishment. But you see, there, there'll be a cost to recognizing the claims of this man. So it's not just about whether or not you're convinced in a kind of you know evidential sense you know does do do the prophecies in the old testament tally up with who this man appears to be or something like that is actually you know in my heart and i'm am i willing to am i willing to countenance the idea that this might be real and am i am i willing to pay the cost of what the implications might be and of course you could think of all sorts of 
you could think of all sorts of examples. I don't know whether your story, um, you're familiar with the um, uh, Brideshead Revisited, um, Evelyn Waugh's novel, but the, but that novel hinges around around a very similar kind of thing um, to do with the character. I forget her name. I can't, I can't remember any of the names of the characters, but but basically one of the characters has to end a, 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 an affair with um, with Charles with Charles Ryder, played by Jeremy Irons in the TV show, um, because ultimately she comes to accept the claims of the Roman Catholic Church, and it's this it's this 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 wrestling that she goes through, and at the end she at the end it's very very moving in the TV show. The TV show is amazing, but at the end of the at the end of the story, you know, she she gives this speech where she says, you know, if I were to carry words to the effect, not exactly these words. But, you know, if I were to carry on this affair with you, I would be I would be shutting God out of my life forever. And I can't do that. So so she had to wrestle with the implications of belief. And that that is you're exactly right in that sense. You're exactly right. I don't know if that makes sense. What I'm saying. Yeah. Now, the implications of belief is interesting because it's a bit like, well, Hitchens, again, has talked about it. When you change your opinions and you're going to lose all your friends or, or if you don't go along with let's say the covid narrative whatever it is there are a lot of situations where you're like oh no i'm going to have to believe this now and it's going to there's going to be a certain cost to it but um mm. i have to say maybe i'm wrong with my argument because i have not been able to convince anyone that they that it's up to them to believe in god as a sort of social responsibility i mean even carl yeah. who believes in aristotle's four character character types in the continent man and the virtuous man all these there's a four character type and and he sort of he believes in doing things for the for the sake of their of, like you should have children because it's good and the right thing to do for example, but he hasn't managed to do it with Christianity. I was like, you admit that society would be better if we were still a strongly Christian country, but yet you don't do it yourself. You know, that's that Gandhi thing: be the change you want to see in the world. So isn't that a kind of hypocrisy? Although you could say it about me because I don't have children and I believe that's a, the, the way to be. So so maybe we're all a bit like that. But yeah, I'm not. I have to say, I've not had any luck convincing anyone using my rationale, but. What did well, you... I think the thing is, the thing is, Nick. Though that I just, I think it's important to say say this is that the reason to believe in Christianity isn't because it um, will produce beneficial effects in society. The reason to believe in it is because it's true, because it's the truth, right? Um, and it, it's because it's true that it brings about beneficial effects in in people's lives and in in society. Um, now. I think the point I was trying to make, and maybe I didn't make it entirely clearly, but I think the point I was trying to make is whether or not you believe is, is it's a choice, let's put it like this, it's a choice that God has left open to us. So, I, I mean, I don't agree that there's as much evidence for atheism as there is for the truth of Christianity, because I think atheism is a ridiculous uh, worldview, which is is um, basically a belief in, in magic. But, but anyway, leaving that aside for a minute, having... Um, alienated and offended all the atheists who are listening to this and I'm, I'm happy to i'm happy to back that up as to why i think that but anyway the point is is that we don't have overwhelming evidence one way or another most people don't have you know jesus christ appearing to them in a dream and saying you know come come and follow me uh, god has left this open to us because he wants us to freely come to him right this is a point this is an argument that um C.S. Lewis makes very powerfully in um, by implication in the screw tape letters. You know, he can woo, but he cannot ravish. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to he doesn't want to take us by force. He wants us to come to him um, of our own free will as as you would as you would woo um, a lady, let's say. So so that's that's the point I'm trying to make. But but I think the thing I just maybe I'm countering you here. I'm not really sure. But the thing I would just want to be clear about is the reason to believe it is because it's absolutely true. And it's it's uh, you know, this is I don't know, maybe it's helpful to some people, but 
it's not it's not a necessary component of everybody's faith but i'm absolutely convinced that the intellectual basis of christianity is just is just far superior to the intellectual basis of any other belief system um and that and i think you can demonstrate that as well so i've got a lot of time for that kind of thing no you, you you're absolutely right it's not it's not the reason to believe in it just because it's better for society that was just an argument i was trying on some people who, right. who weren't convinced you know because yeah. you can't just say to them well it's true they go well no it's not i was like well what about this that was just an attempt <laughs> But, um, and you're right, and there's plenty of evidence. It's great you're trying, though. It's great you're trying, Nick. I mean, it's, it's fun. most Christians don't try, so it's brilliant. <laughs> I've had a crack at it, but with little success. Um, yeah, and, and um, yeah, that's very interesting. I, I've, I've listened to Mere Christianity a few times. I haven't got onto Screw Tape Letters, but I do oh, love Screw Tape seriously. Letters, honestly. It's one of my favourite books of any type ever. It's just brilliant, fantastic book. Read it immediately. I need to get onto it. I, and, go on. Yeah, go on. No, no, you go on, you go on. Well, no, I was just going to say, and this idea that atheism is magic, maybe you could explain that. Because one thing I do say to atheists who attack me on Twitter, or they say, oh, you believe in the sky wizard, you believe in the imaginary friend. I always think, <laughs> I don't necessarily say it, but I always think, so this random Twitter person, is you, their claim is they're smarter than C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, all these figures yeah. throughout history we could, we could name. I always think that's incredibly yeah. unlikely. Um, yeah. So that's one thing I think. But, but what, what's your point about uh, the, that it's a belief in magic? You mean the Big Bang? Yeah, so, so um, I mean, you know, I go back to um, Thomas Aquinas, right, the distinction between necessity and contingency. So um, everything in this world is contingent, meaning that it's dependent upon something else. And the, the universe itself is, is clearly contingent. It doesn't, has, it doesn't have to exist by uh, necessity. Um, now, of course, of course, some people might say, some people might say that it does, but that just strikes me as um, that's just, that's just a dogmatic belief isn't it how could you possibly demonstrate that the universe exists by necessity um it's it's quite clear to me and anyone who's honest that the universe doesn't exist by necessity it's a it's a thing like the things we see around us you know like this desk or like you or me um so it raises a question which is where did the universe come from right if, if the universe is not necessary if it doesn't necessarily exist meaning that it it doesn't depend on anything else but the universe does depend on something else where did it come from if it's contingent that makes sense now the um the atheist answer to that must be well either it isn't necessary but i don't believe it is and i don't believe that can be demonstrated like you know the universe has just existed forever which is just an article of faith or that the universe just started to exist so it just popped into existence out of nothing and that's what i meant when it's when i said it's it's like a belief in magic because um, could you can you can you imagine something that's more magical than that? Some they're just being nothing. So nothing um, meaning the the lack of existence of absolutely anything. So nothing nothing has no causal properties. So nothing can't cause anything because it you know there's just no, there's just nothing that exists. There's nothing there. There's just a, a void. Not even a void. There's just an absence. And then suddenly the universe just pops into existence. I mean, who can believe, who could possibly believe such a thing? It's total nonsense. Um, the, the only answer to the question that makes any sense is that there is something necessary that caused the universe. And that is what, in the words of Thomas Aquinas, that is what we mean by the word God, a necessary being who created the universe. Um, that's what Aristotle believed using, using reason. It's what Thomas Aquinas believed. Uh, and, it's, and it's correct. So, so that's, that's, that's what I meant. You know, somebody like um, Bertrand Russell in the 20th century, he said about the existence of the universe, it just is. The universe just is. You know, it's a brute fact. But for me, that's not an explanation. 
You know, it's it's just it's just not. What well, basically it comes down to a choice: Do you believe that the universe just is, or do you believe that God just is? And it seems to me to make far more sense to say that God just is than to say the universe just is. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And and, and people also think that atheists have just have won all the arguments. And it's like, well, watch William Lane Craig versus Christopher Hitchens, and he, he wins every one. Craig, he just he has better there's no argument there's no argument for atheism it's just it, it, the arguments are look the arguments are that you don't so these are again this goes back to thomas thomas aquinas so i'm getting my high horse here i know you know it's great talking to you because you're you know you're a comedian you're light and fun but sometimes we have to go back to scholastic metaphysics right so <laughs> the arguments are number one in Thomas Aquinas, these are the only two he considers, and and that's because they're the only two there are. the the the, the arguments are um, the universe. We don't need God to explain the universe, which I've just which I've just um, sp- been speaking about. And number two, uh, that uh, there's all this evil and suffering in the world, and and that this is incompatible with the existence of a of a of a good God. Those are the only those are the only two arguments, and Aquinas demonstrates uh, why why both of them do not. Um, do not work they're not they're not persuasive enough um to to force a belief in atheism or even to make it um seem more plausible um the the people like richard dawkins and and his ilk think that um modern science has somehow provided a basis for atheism but it's just you know when you actually when you actually listen to what these people are saying it's just it's 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 just absolutely Probably obvious to anyone who knows what they're talking about that somebody like Richard Dawkins does not understand the first thing about classical theism or scholastic metaphysics. Like he doesn't, he doesn't understand the he doesn't understand the distinction that I've been hinting at between beings and being. Right. So he thinks that if you can explain how an organism evolved or how all organisms evolved, then you have explained. Um, you, have, you have explained everything about the nature of the universe. But what he fails to understand is that you haven't explained everything about the nature of the universe because you haven't, you haven't answered the question, why is there something rather than nothing, which is the question of being itself, right? So the question isn't, you know, how did I evolve from a single-celled organism? The, answer, the question is, why does anything exist at all? And, and evolutionary theory doesn't say anything about that whatsoever. It's complete irrelevance to it. And Dawkins doesn't understand that basic fact about the conversation. You know, he writes like, you know, 500 page book, you know, The God Delusion or whatever, however long it is. I mean, it's, it's a long book, um, which, I've, which I've read. Um, but he doesn't understand that basic fact, which you would learn in an A-level philosophy class. So it's, it's embarrassing. Well, next time I see him, I'll say, Dawkins, you've got no idea about scholastic metaphysics. <laughs> You need Get to out. slap him across the face with a pair of leather gloves. Was that on your podcast? I was. I, was, I had on on some podcast. Somebody was saying that somebody needed to be slapped with a, play, a, a pair of a pair of leather gloves. I'm not advocating that. That's just a joke. Just I have to say these things, Nick, because people will then say, "Oh, you know, you're a vicar. You shouldn't be saying that kind of thing." You know, yeah. it's just it's just a joke, right? Vicar advocates violence on podcasts <laughs> on right wing podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, right podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you know what? That's so funny about Dawkins because Sam Harris has done a similar thing where he's like, "We've we've we've got all the telescopes now. We've like we've got the <laughs> telescopes. We've looked at this whole sky. And God's not there, guys. We've done the research." We imagine saying that in public as an intellectual. That's a shocker. It's 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 just it's in, it's it just. I mean, maybe he doesn't mean it, but maybe he's just having a joke. But I kind of think he does mean it. I, I, I kind does. of think he doesn't. He doesn't understand that that Christians 
don't believe that God is a being who who exists somewhere in the universe. Like he actually thinks that, you know, I think there's a man in the sky, like, you know, living on Neptune, who's really big and really powerful. That's that's the that's the the, the complete ineptitude of these people. They cannot they cannot grasp the first thing about what um what what Christians actually believe. What they do is they kind of aim it, they aim their critique towards, um, you know, less sophisticated forms of the faith um, rather than actually bothering to learn what, what somebody like Thomas Aquinas actually said about, about God. Um, because they're, they're intellectually lazy. I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality of it. They're just, they're just, um, they just can't be asked. I mean, you could you could quite easily learn about the five ways of Thomas Aquinas by reading a by reading a, a basic textbook on Thomas Aquinas and engaging with what he's saying. But Dawkins appears to have like Googled, you know, Thomas Aquinas five ways, thought about it for about 30 seconds and then written it down and, and published it in the, in the God Delusion. But, you know, there are there are there are numerous errors of basic comprehension. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop going on about this. It's just a bit of a hobby horse. Yeah, you're right. I mean, well, I semi do believe in the man in the sky, but <laughs> in general, you're right. It's, it's incredibly it's a straw man. That, it's a straw man for their fans. Yeah. It's very much what... I mean, Chris Hitchens was a brilliant speaker, but he, yeah. if you watch him against William Lane Craig, Craig's advocating the philosophical arguments. He's, mm. he's explaining them, and they're very formal. And Hitchens just is not engaging with them at all because he's not yeah. interested in that. He's just saying, here are my parlor tricks from my book, which is, you know, it's fine. But it, this, they're talking completely different languages. Um, and that's similar with Harris. What do you think to this naive question... Speaking of naive questions and beliefs, I mean, I have plenty. So, this yeah, is something that I've wondered about. Like C.S. Lewis obviously talks about the the the, the basis, the the reason that God is is the basis of conscience and morality in in things like mere Christianity. But I sometimes wonder about why do you think everything is set up, or what would the atheist argument be for why everything's set up as it is? For example, delayed gratification the existence of conscience, the the existence of morality. You know, why is it we have to eat sort of broccoli or something and we can't just eat ice cream like endlessly? Why what, Couldn't we have had a world where we could just do any vice we wanted and there was no punishment? Why do you think vice and virtue and exists? Yeah, I mean, this is a really deep question, Nick. I just thought this of it myself. Really, I mean, it's a really, really good question. It's a very, very deep question. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, a couple of things occurred to me to say in response to this. So, <clears throat> God has clearly set up the world so that we might um, develop and grow spiritually. Let's put it like that, in in in, in kind of broad terms. This is this is what this is what God wants. He wants growth. Uh, he wants development. Um, and it's not just in a spiritual sense for human beings, but it's it's the way that the universe operates, isn't it? There's a kind of um, this is something that the the great um, humanist. Uh, Christian M. Scott Peck talks about in his book uh, *The Road Less, Less Travelled*. Um, there are these two forces at work in the universe: uh, grace and entropy. He calls them entropy is the 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 propensity that things have to break down and to to become more chaotic, and and grace is this force which seems to exist in the world, which which um, is is willing, if you like, development and 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 order and beauty, um, and we see that in human lives as well. You know. And uh, both in terms of you know, the, the growth of human bodies, but in terms of our souls and our, our minds as well. Uh, grace, um, ever, ever greater levels of order, harmony, beauty, um, understanding and so on and so forth. So, so there's something about that process which 
which God obviously values. You know, that's that's there's something about that which must be must be precious in the sight of God. And and you can you you can say that you can say the same thing about um, about faith as well. You could say, well, why does God why does God want us to have faith? Why does He want us to grow and, and develop in faith? He He could just give us the capacity to believe wholeheartedly with no doubt. But there's something about that that God values that God wants. You know, He wants us to have. He wants us to have faith. He wants us to have trust. There's something inherently valuable about about these things. Um, it, to, just to take that thought one step further, you could say that there's a sort of aesthetic quality to it. You know, there's something beautiful about faith. There's something beautiful about trust. Uh, there's something beautiful about um, about learning, about growing, about developing uh, the world would be a lot less interesting without without these things if we just you know we were just um given it all on a plate if you like um the the final thing that i'd say about this just as a sort of first answer is that um this is something that god is so interested god is so interested in that he actually entered into it himself and in, in the person of christ in the incarnation you know so in the book of hebrews for example it talks about uh, jesus um learning obedience through what he suffered right so so there was something about um there was something about um jesus which which grew and developed and learnt just well it wasn't it was, sorry let me phrase that slightly differently in his humanity jesus grew and developed and learnt and suffered like human beings do so so god himself has made it such that he would even participate in this process himself even though it's not part of god's nature to learn and grow and develop because god as he as he is in himself doesn't do any of those things so yeah i mean it's it's a i think that's a pretty um i think that's a pretty a, a remarkable thing really i don't know if any of that i don't know if that any of that makes sense nick but don't you think it would be just so much more boring if 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 you didn't need to like you know eat broccoli or you know um or or tr or make a sort of intellectual effort to learn things or lift weights to become more muscular or do you know what i mean it would just you'd, you'd be losing the essence of 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 life wouldn't you absolutely and there'd be no good films um <laughs> uh, with training sequences like uh warrior or rocky but um... i just Rocky the other day, funnily enough. Really, I, I literally just I literally just watched it two days ago. I've, I've not seen it for many years, but I, I, it's fantastic film. Sorry, it's it's great and much more quirky than people would realise. And have yeah. you ever seen Warrior? Yeah, I've seen that okay. about UFC. Yeah, one yeah. of the great movies of all time, underrated. Oh, it's such a good film. Um, it's such a good film. Um, so my response to that is, what would would the atheist though? Very interesting points, but would the atheist say simply that when we were out there trying to survive on wherever we were, the plains or wherever we were that we needed an incentive and the incentive was things like sugar, but, we, but it would have just been a little bit of fruit. And now we've got far too much, you know, we, we needed to strive yeah. towards getting it for survival. So we needed endorphins when we had sugar and such things. Is that where it comes in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the evolutionary just, just so story, isn't it? Which can be invoked to explain absolutely everything. Um, the, the, I guess what I'd say about that is it's a question of whether you believe that that is plausible as an explanation for um, all human striving towards towards growth, towards order, towards uh, beauty, towards achievement, because it seems to me that it's it's um, well, it seems to me that it's it's completely inadequate. So so um, 
if you take an example, I mean, like take an example, like um, you know, the visual arts or or architecture or something like that. Um, what what evolutionary just so story are you going to invoke to explain why people decided to build buildings like the 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 cathedral at Chartres in the in the High Middle Ages? I mean, this is uh, this this is what this is doing is is it's it's an expression of humanity's desire to commune with the divine through through art through artistic design through architecture and so on and so forth so so i just don't think those kind of explanations really satisfy that longing within the human soul and you don't i mean you don't even have to even be that extreme i just think the the whole concept of aesthetic order and beauty is something that we all instinctively understand and it's completely unnecessary from an evolutionary perspective why why would it why would it be the case that you would need to um you know lay your dinner table in a way which is aesthetically pleasing uh, from a, from an evolutionary perspective it's just it's just is it, you have to you have to go to such lengths to kind of try and produce one of these explanations the fact is that human beings are drawn we're drawn towards order and beauty and away from chaos and and ugliness uh, and that's because there is a there's a transcendental oh sorry sorry i shouldn't say transcendental a transcendent dimension to reality which we which we desire to to commune with um, and that's that's why we do these things because we want to we want to we want to reach out as it were in our in our hearts towards beauty towards order um, and it's 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 way more interesting than just saying oh you know when we were out on the plains you know it was um, you know it was better if we had our if we had our shacks or our huts ordered in a way which was you know I don't know where our tools were accessible or do you know what I mean I don't even know what you'd say what would you even say no exactly on, on art that would be very difficult to make that argument and I, I think about that a lot why is some art inherently good which i say it is i mean a movie works or doesn't like warrior works many films don't and they just don't work yeah and even even in comedy on a humble level trying to write jokes which i did for 11 years and whilst did still did the other day for someone but um for myself i did it in stand-up and and you you try and do it and it it wouldn't work and then something it would just come to you it kind of as revelation if you like whatever you know in a small r but um it would, the ones you thought of intellectually wouldn't work, or then something would just hit you, and that was the right joke, and you knew it in your gut. And and this has been the way with me with everything, when it comes to which podcast I should do, what the title should be, and, and, and this this is the thing, and that's on a humble level, on a much greater level, the great books and the great movies, they're just inherently right, and so yeah. art seems to have an inherent quality to it. And this idea that everything's subjective and relative, it's just not true. I mean, that's why woke movies are so bad as well. They're yeah, ideological and rubbish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Nick, this is a really important point. And it's actually, I mean, it's, it, this, is, um, this, is, this is so important because this is about, um, this really comes down to the issue of whether or not you believe in reality. I mean, I, I, I don't really know how else to put this. Um, there is such a thing as good and evil. There is such a thing as right and wrong. There is such a thing as beauty and ugliness. Those things all belong in the same categories, right? So when you get um, these, these, um, have you seen these adverts now where you have, you know, and I'm not wishing to be offensive to people who are overweight, okay? And I don't mean this in a, I don't mean this in a disparaging way. But when you have a morbidly obese ice skater, a, a female ice skater, promoting, I think she was promoting sanitary towels or something like that, and the, the very clear implication of the advert is that this woman's body is beautiful 
and she's morbidly obese. I mean, it's not like she's just slightly overweight. It's, you know, she's, she weighs, you know, 18 stone or something like that. I mean, she's, she's huge. Um, what, what, what is, what these people are saying by implication is that beauty is just about, um, it's just about accepting yourself. It's just about body positivity. It's not about any kind of objective standard that exists out there in the world or in the transcendent dimension or anything like that. It's just about you feeling positive about yourself. Um, that's a denial of reality. There is such a thing as aesthetic beauty, and you can see this in you can see this in art as well. Obviously, I mean, modern art is just is just um, is just a sort of collective denial of the reality of of, of beauty. You know, you, you, according to the kind of theory of, of modern art, you could put um, I don't know, you could put Michelangelo's David next to. Uh, a cow that's been chopped in half and put in formaldehyde by Damien Hirst and and basically say well you know we can have a debate about which one of these is is more beautiful or which one of these is the greater artwork uh, we have to recover the reality that uh, some art is good and some some art is bad because there is some kind of objective standard of, of beauty and, and goodness out there out there in the world and it conforms to it to a to a great or participates in it uh, to a greater or lesser degree. And it's, I don't know. I haven't actually thought about humour, but I, I'm sure it must be the same thing for for jokes and things like that. There there is a kind of grace to humour, isn't there? Which um, which some people are able to able to tap into more than others, and that's why some people are just naturally funny. I mean, how can you how can you explain these things apart from just to say that there is actually some kind of yeah, I don't know. Some I don't know what humor is. I mean, humor to me is a is a mysterious thing. It seems to me to be about um, some. I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about this. But but um, humor to me seems to be a, to be about um, making connections between things. There seems to be something sort of um, common to me in in jokes where where you're sort of where you're sort of connecting two concepts in an interesting way, or you're inviting people to take a leap from one place to another. I don't. I, I'm speaking very abstractly, but. But nevertheless, you know, you, you know what I mean. Some people are just funny. Some people are just able to do it, and some people are, and some people are less funny. So I don't know. I'm rambling a bit here. No, absolutely. And um, I realised I basically was describing uh, Roger Scruton's "Why Beauty Matters." Have you seen the, that yeah. documentary? And the, I exactly, what you say. No, no. I, I've not seen the documentary. I've met him, and I've been in a seminar with him on aesthetics, though. So um, hmm. he was he was just a, such a great man. What was it like to meet him? Uh, he's great. He's such a he's such a great man. Um, so it was a when I was doing I was doing an MA at um, King's College London at the time, and um, it, we'd we'd read this book on um, his book on beauty actually, um, and uh, he was there and he had uh, you know he had his hair all crazy and he he had like a crumpled up piece of paper where he'd written about five words you know in scrawled you know, like black. Uh, ink and he was using this as the basis of his lecture you know this this tiny kind of crumpled piece of paper and just you know absolutely killing it and then at the end um one of the sort of, there was a sort of young uh postmodern type uh, girl there um you know very nice girl but you know very much sort of inculcated in 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 the way of things and uh she said to him uh, she obviously didn't like his book and she said to him um uh, you know, I, I don't like what you said here. You're trying to make out there's some kind of objective standard to beauty. And really what, what all this is, is, you know, all this book is, is just your own opinion. And she said it in quite a sort of, you know, for, for an English kind of 
situation, you know, British sort of culture. It was it was a bit sort of almost a bit rude. Uh, it's okay though. I mean, it wasn't rude, but it was it was it was going that way. So she was. This is this is just your opinion. And he said to her. I mean, he was totally cool. Like he was just completely relaxed. And he said. Um, Yes, uh, absolutely. That is my it is my opinion, and it's up to you to tell me why I'm wrong. And it was just it was just such a great it was such a great response. Like everyone like fell about laughing. I just thought, oh, you are you're just the man. He's the man. What a legend. Yeah, and his so yeah, he did this documentary, Why Beauty Matters, about why there is inherent beauty, why beauty is important in art and architecture and so on. And you could contrast that with the the shock of the new, which was a series by Robert Hughes, which was about all about modern art. So modern art is, a, is another one of these, I suppose, psyops, a kind of another attack on the uh, on morality and, and, and yeah. objective beauty. And I suppose it, it all comes down to God, whether it's whether it's leftist politics, whether it's mo- ugly modern art, it all comes back to that. Interesting. Um, and comedy, just a word on that. Yeah. Comedy is objective. People people always say humor is subjective, and it, no, it's not. I've said this for ages. So it's not it's not subjective. And you learn this very brutally when you start um, stand up. So I did. Um, I did all these open mics for the first year with sort of, you know, nice but often mentally ill people. And then I went into the comedy store and you do this to do the gong show and it's 400 people and they can yeah. hold up three yellow cards. And when you have three, they gong you off. Yeah. I didn't get a single card. I won the thing. The, the comedy store wanted to represent me as an Asian. I got a crown. It was the peak of comedy. I was one year yeah. into comedy and it, that was wow. as good as it got. Wow. But the point was, I really wanted to be in that environment where you'd be tested. Because when you're in a small room, that's, uh, uh, they're all comics and it's a, it's a nonsense environment. You couldn't really tell who was any good. Whereas on that stage, it was very, very clear who was good. Anyway, that sounded like I'm boasting. The point is, um, you can either do it or you can't. And then at the higher echelon, do you prefer Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle? That's up to you. That is subjective. But whether you can do it or not, you know what I mean? And I was funny when yeah. I was 10. I'm less funny now because I'm very serious and I've dialed it down. Uh-huh. But when I was 10, I was making the whole class and the teacher laugh. So it was a God-given gift and that, yeah. that's all there is to it. So, yeah. so, so, there's, so yeah, so let's just, um, let's just uh, bring a, uh, uh, that out slightly more. So there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an objective element to it and there is also an element of personal preference as well. And you could say that about all the arts, really, couldn't you? You could say, well, you know, I prefer... Um, Mozart to Beethoven, but you, you, what you can't say is that Beethoven is an idiot and his his composition was, you know, his composition was terrible. You see what I mean? So, that, yeah. so personal preference and subjectivity does come into it. The other thing I, I just want to embellish slightly is when you said it all comes down back to God. Um, yes, that's that's absolutely right, and that's because in the in the uh, in my view correct way of thinking about God, um, God is God doesn't just um, pronounce as to what is good and what is true and what is beautiful god is those things within himself so when we are when we are reaching out for these things when we are attracted to these things as all human beings are unless we unless we deny it uh, we're actually what we're actually doing is we're we're seeking we're seeking for the face of of god because because god actually is is these things he is the sort of um he's the the he's the place where all of these things find their rest um, find their fulfillment. So the, the, the reason that we have all this crap modern art and this, this ugly architecture, uh, you know, like, you know, if you um, go to sort of ex, um, ex-communist bloc countries in Eastern Europe or, or you go to Russia or whatever, why you have all that, why you have all that um, solent, um, uh, you know, um, 
ugly architecture, which which just makes you feel depressed. The reason, that, or, or you know, you could give multiple examples of ugly architecture in our in our country today. But but um, the reason you have all this is because um, people stop believing in God, and so and so they lose that sense of the the transcendent. They lose the sense of human beings being made in the image of God, and 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 that being some way reflected in our in our architectural environment and our, our aesthetic environment in general and so you just get you just get the embrace of ugliness and with uh, modern art what it is 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 there's nothing left apart from pure subjectivity which is why um which is why sho- shocking art is so um prevalent is because once you sort of abandon that that standard of of transcendence and beauty the only thing really you've got left to do is is shock people or try and try and rest their interest in some way so that's i think that's why you have this kind of thing of well you know um let's see what kind of outrageous thing we can do in terms of like sexual perversion or in terms of just banality where you know like um you know like the um the fountain you know the urinal um the thing about that is it's just yeah the thing about that is um it's just it, all, all it is is what it's saying. Well, this is this is what art is now. So that's kind of well. I guess that's sort of interesting that now that's what we think art is. And art is something that you piss into, you know. So and that's it. You know, that's where we've come to. And the question is, is this the kind of world you really want to live in? Do you want to live in that world, or do you want to live in the world of uh, the cathedral at Notre Dame and Michelangelo's David? So that's my question to that's my question to the atheist. Interesting, yeah, yeah. Duchamp did that urinal, and it's and it's funny once. It's kind of amusing once, and then after that, it's just chaos and and despair. Because you made the point once. What if this was just art? Oh, very clever. But actually, that's the end of that point. It's already been completed. Then, and everything after that, Damon Hirst, Tracy Evans, is all pointless. Yeah, and there's no, there's no uh, like the thing we were talking about earlier. There's no, there's no growth. There's no development. There's no technical aspect to it. There's no, there's no room for 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 for, for genius. Um, there's no there's no room for the prodigy uh, to to wow us all with his God given his God given talents. It's just it's just utter banality, and the, and it's so boring. The trouble is, real art is slow and difficult. I mean, even with comedy, maybe I just wasn't good enough. But I always thought this new trend where people have to bash out a new special every year. Louis C.K. at his peak was probably the only one. Whatever you think of him, was probably the only one that could do it to a high level. Everyone else, it just you could see the quality suffer because it just it's just too hard to write that many good bits and jokes. And real art, you have to learn under a an, yeah. a, a master for painting your little brushstrokes for years and years, don't you? So who wants yeah. to do that? It's a skill. It's a it's a skill. I mean, it's not a skill I've ever cultivated. Although I, I do I do consider myself to be reasonably funny. But but you have you have developed you have developed a trade, haven't you? Just like you would if you were a musician or if you were a carpenter or if you were anything else. Yeah, and, and, and people who've done it know that even if you hate my comedy and see clips on the internet and say I'm rubbish, when you're in the moment, when you're live in the room, actually, it's funny you said about the face of God. The guy who discovered Michael McIntyre once said to me, when he'd see certain live gigs I did, he said that they touched the face of God, which was uh, <laughs> kind of sounds ridiculous for comedy. And obviously, it's sort of hyperbole and being funny. But when you're in the zone on stage and it's really working and you're, and you're riffing and all that and you're using the crowd, you do, it does transcend. But um, yeah. anyway, I gave it all up because the industry is so disgusting. And here yeah. we are doing podcasts and commentary <laughs> instead, But um, which is a shame. And one thing I'm, I'm surprised I haven't asked you about yet, because we've already done quite a long time, and I haven't even got into what I thought it was going to be about, was the decline of Christianity okay. in this country yeah. and what we can do about it, and in the West. Because 
we we you know we grew up i know it's a big one isn't it we i'll yeah. try and narrow it a bit no, we no, grew up, we're probably a similar age and and we grew up i imagine in a world where we took christianity for granted it was it was pervasive so i grew up in a very normal school but it was still church of england we still yeah. sung our hymns every morning friday there'd be an assembly with a vicar we'd go over to the church we'd be on the the old mahogany pews which they've taken out now which i resent and we'd mm. kneel and we'd do our you know daily prayers and so on lord's prayer every day now in a culture where people are saying the Lord's Prayer is gendered, and that's a problem. That was the thing that happened, wasn't it? Is it that was a, where did yeah, that happen? It was, uh, it was in um, Guildford in, in Surrey. They, they, said that, they said they wanted to speak of God in a non-gendered way, which is like a fundamental attack on, on our sort of everything about our country and, and Christianity because the Lord's Prayer was so inherent. We said it every day, and now they're saying that's bad. Yeah. So it was pervasive, and we took it for granted maybe, and here's a little thing for you, I, a little whimsical remark, but I realized, have you watched Shadowlands? Yes, yes, yes. About C.S. Lewis, film. one of the great yeah. movies. And a lovely film, yeah. Amazing. But I was watching it thinking, this is the world I want to get back to. Not that I was in, at Oxford, but I was yeah. at a village where we had Christianity, we had churches, and it was all normal. That was England. And I suddenly realized, maybe I'm a bit old, but the time that's set in the early 50s is closer to my birthday than my birthday is to now being the right. early 80s so i yeah. suddenly realized well of course that world's gone nick it's actually chronologically makes sense so we've we've completely lost that world it seems to me we've almost lost christianity in this yeah. country so i guess my question is there was a lot of comments there but <laughs> why has christianity declined so much how do we save it in this country or the west and can it be saved yeah yeah i'm actually trying to write a book about this subject at the moment um so i've got i've got a lot of thoughts about it so um uh, well, uh, so the question of why, I mean, I don't, I don't know, what, what's the more interesting question to talk about here? Is it, is it, is it why it's declined historically or, or, or what our response should be about it? Or If, what, if we only had, if we had to pick one, because there's, there's one, three I, things. I, yeah, I was just going to say, there's three things. There's at least three things. There's, well, there's why it's happened. There's the effects of it happening. And then there's what we can do about it. So, I mean, which one of those should I address first? If I had to pick one, I would say, what can we do about it? Because that's the most <laughs> urgent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just to say something about the effects of it, I think the effects of it are um, catastrophically bad. And I think they are, they're, they're, they're going to get worse and, um, and, and we are going to notice it far more. But uh, uh, um, at the moment, a lot of the, a lot of the evil and the wickedness of the of our world is is very very much below the surface, although it's 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 surfacing at the moment. I mean, one thing you you, you I could point to just just right now is is um, yeah, I think today is the fifty fifth when we're recording is the fifty fifth anniversary, if I'm not mistaken, of the um, of the legalization of abortion in this country, and since then over ten million children have been destroyed in their in their mothers' wombs. Um, and you know this is uh, this is ritual child sacrifice that's that's happening in our in our nation, um, and this is this is um, this is unbelievably horrendous what's going on. Uh, we're not talking about just you know single celled um, organisms being destroyed. We're talking about um, sentient human beings who are being ripped apart in their mothers' wombs, and the the the, the violence that this that this involves is is. Um, you know, it's it's absolutely un, unspeakable. So this is this is a this is a besetting sin of our civilization, and we're we're also seeing this, uh, of course, in the in the what's going on with the the transgender ideology, which again is a kind of ritual child sacrifice. It's 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 um, it's the um, it's the castration 
and mutilation of of children's children's bodies in the name of a of a of a diabolical post-Christian ideology and um, and the fact that the church is not only not speaking out against this but is actually by implication endorsing it is a scan is a scandal and it's it's it is going to, it is incurring it is incurring the judgment of God upon the church so I mean I I, I, I don't I don't know um, if I can really state it any any more clearly this is a manifestation of evil in our culture as we turn away from the living God and from the truth and embrace and embrace a satanic agenda and uh, I think we're going to see this more and more not only with abortion and with uh, you know we'll, we'll start seeing uh, up to term abortion we'll start seeing partial birth abortion we'll see more and more children being mutilated in terms of the transgender ideology but we'll see we'll see th- we'll see this happening much more and more in terms of um, things like euthanasia and um, greater levels of, of sexual perversion I mean I think of the way that uh, the attack on on children in schools and the way that um, Children are being shown um, pornography in schools uh, under the rubric of, um, you know, PSHE or whatever it might be. Anyway, I mean, I could go on and on about this, but but basically the, the decline is in progress. It is uh, absolutely catastrophic and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And the only the only answer is Christ. That's the is the only answer is to repent and to turn from this to turn from this evil. You know, I've, I'm preparing a, a sermon on, on John chapter 10 at the moment. And, um, and, and Christ talks about the robber who comes to, to kill and steal and destroy. And that's what's happening. Our, we are being killed, we are, we are being stolen from, and we are being destroyed as a civilization, as a culture, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. The, the, the good news is that there is an answer, and the answer is very, very clear. It's repentance and it's faith in Jesus Christ and it's faithfulness to the word of God. And that's 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 all I can say about this. There is a there is a spiritual battle. It's good versus evil. Um, get on the right side. Trust in Jesus Christ and and be faithful to him. But Nick, it's got to be a, it's got to be a full on thing. It can't be it can't be like, um, you know, I'm sorry, it can't be just the belief that Christianity is a good is a good force in, in the world. It can't be. Um, you know, sort of nominal adherence to Christianity. It's got to be a full, fat, metaphysical belief in the reality of good and evil and a commitment to participate on the side of good, come what may. So I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's clear enough, but I'm, that's I'm trying not clear. to leave any room for doubt. That's great. Um, well, of course, I agree with you. And, and my friend Lois McClatchy, who was on this podcast, has just yeah, tweeted great. today. Today marks 55 years of the UK Abortion Act. Recent estimates suggest an abortion now takes place in Great Britain every 2.5 minutes. So I agree with you, but how do you convince a moderate? Because I was speaking to someone the other day, and I can't remember who, but it must have been someone vaguely on my side if I was talking to them on the phone. And it was about, and they said, well, yeah, but people just believe that they're not doing a bad thing, that they don't think of it as killing a baby. So that's, because you, I agree with what you said there, but you, that will seem very extreme to some people. So how, how do you win over people like that? Well, how do you win over people who say that you're not really killing a baby when you're doing an abortion? abortion in this country has become so ingrained that it's like it's people it, it's very hard to get anyone to listen even sort of reasonably rational people who you know sort of even someone like my mom it's going to be quite hard to convince them even i'll say to her would you have an abortion and you know that's kind of a terrible thing you might have aborted me and she'll say of course not but in but in for other people in general she'll say she'll, that you know she thinks it's necessary so it's, this, this is in this country particularly an incredibly hard issue to get anywhere on and that's just mm. the example you've chosen so, yeah. you know, to, to some people, you all sound there like a sort of zealot. And, and, you know, how do we get anywhere? 
Well, I mean, I think there are at least a couple of things going on here. I mean, when, when we talk about the issue of abortion specifically, I mean, a lot of this has to do with whether or not the person you're speaking to is actually open to a reasonable conversation. I mean, many people are just so close minded that they won't even consider that, you know, there could be anything wrong with it. But if you're talking to a reasonable person, I think, I think, and somebody who's reasonably open minded, I think that you can, you can talk to them about uh, the reality of the existence of a of a child in the womb, and and ask them like, what do you think is actually happening when somebody is having an abortion? Um, you know, what what's 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 happening? Can you de- can you describe it to me? Um, because uh, you know, what I'd say is, there's a child who is alive, and it may be a very young child, uh, maybe a child yet to develop in all sorts of ways, but it's still a child, and it's being destroyed. Now, do you agree with that? And then it'd be interesting, you know, it's always interesting to hear what people say to that because they will say, well, it's a fetus or whatever. But, but ultimately, we, 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 we do agree, don't we, that a child is being destroyed. Now, under what circumstances is it ethically justifiable to kill children normally? Well, it's never justifiable. So therefore, why is it justifi- justifiable to kill a child when it's, when it's, in, it's in the womb? Uh, we would never we would never accept the killing of a child for some kind of expedient purpose after they've been born. So why is it OK when a child is in is in the womb? Um, that would be my sort of, you know, that would be my sort of basic argument. I mean, it, the more general strategy, and this is kind of my strategy, I suppose, with the podcast and everything like that, is um, the Reverend podcast um, which I'm not sure, I'm not sure we've actually mentioned that, but I should get a plug in for, for my podcast, the Reverend Faith and Current Affairs. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 about, it's about sowing seeds, you know, the, the, the parable of the, the sower. You know, we, we have to sow the seed. We have, to, we have to tell the truth and be clear about what the truth is. And, and lots of people will ignore us and lots of people will call us zealots or will, will say we're, we're crazy, whatever. But some people will listen and lots of people are waking up. I saw this great tweet today, actually. I mean, I, uh, I'm not in the right browser, but I saw this great tweet of this guy saying that he was a, I can't remember what he said. He said he was something like a, you know, he's like a gay atheist, but he's, he's so disturbed by the way that children are being targeted for indoctrination by this new ideology, particularly, I think it was to do with, with this, uh, you know, sex education stuff, that he's actually decided to start going back to church. And his tweet was saying, you know, what am I looking for? In, in going back to church, and my answer was, "You're looking for you're looking for a church which embraces historic Christian orthodoxy." But those are the guy; those are the people that I think we've connected with a lot on our podcast. It's like people who actually are sensing the darkness. They see this madness. This, you know, they see they see children being castrated in the name of of uh, uh, transgender ideology, or young women having their breasts cut off and having um, phalluses um, manufactured out of the the tissue from their legs or whatever it might be and they're thinking to themselves this is absolutely insane what the hell is going on and and you have at that at that point when people when people are waking up we as christians need to be there to say look this is terrible this is bad this is evil and this is a work of spiritual darkness but if there is spiritual darkness, if that really exists, if that's really a thing, there must be a spiritual light as well. And let me tell you something about what that light is. So that's my sort of, you know, that's the way I see it. All right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you talk about, yeah, example the other day, someone, a kid died because they tried to take part of, I can't remember if it's his or her colon to yeah. make genitalia. And I was just like, this is just as horrific as it gets. What more do you need? And when you mentioned up-to-term abortion, two people on GB News advocated for that. People say, oh, this is right-wing channel. 
Yeah, two people who advocated for abortions up to nine months, which, I mean, no sane person even thinks that. Even the, mod, you know, yeah. that's extremely... Can you imagine, mo- Nick, can you imagine the pain that that would cause to that child when it's, when it's, that's, that's murder. I don't, normally when I speak about abortion, I try not to use the word murder because I don't want to, I don't want to sort of uh, condemn women who are in terrible situations and they do things which I, you know, I think are wrong, but, but, you know, there's an understandable element to that. And often women are, are pressurized into this, these actions by, by um, family members or by, you know, the losers who have impregnated them as, as well. So I try to refrain from that kind of language, but when you are killing a child that, that could, or at least you're saying conceptually, it would be all right to kill a child who five or let's say half an hour later could actually be out there in the world. I mean, I've watched my four children being born. I've watched them being born and I've, I've seen them. You know, I don't want to be too uh, graphic, but I've seen them coming out, right? And they're the same when they're in there as when they come out. They're human beings. And to kill that child, the violence that you would have to do is inhuman. It's, it's unconscionable. And, and as you say, the question in a in a godless world is why not? Because we we have why not have uh, mutilate sixteen year old kids in the name of trans ideology? Why not kill babies up to nine months? And and there was even in a slightly sillier level, there was we did a story on headliners the other day about a throuple. Like why not have three dads? Why not have anything? There's there's no yeah. reason not to, and that's where we are. So, so so Nick, did you see that thing that Tucker Carlson was doing the other day? There was a there was a video of him. Um, shared when he was basically saying, you know, there's a reasonable conversation about abortion where, you know, uh, about, well, you know, what point does it become a child and everything like that? And what about when the mother's in dire straits? But what we're actually talking about now is we're talking about the glorification of, of killing children and that this is just evil. I have to say, I didn't watch the whole clip, but I saw, I saw him saying that. And I think, he's, I think he's bang on the money there because I can understand how the conversation gets going. You know, I can understand that. I don't agree with it. And I don't, I don't think abortion is right. But I can understand people saying, oh, you know, just after conception or something like that. When you're talking about killing a child just before it's been born, um, I'm sorry, but you've lost it. You've lost the plot. You, you, are, you, are, you, are, you are participating in the, in the work of Satan, if that's what you, if that's what you genuinely think. It, it's, it, is, it, is, it is a religious phenomenon at that point. It is child sacrifice in the name of your ideology. And on the theme of how we solve this, what do you think about... So I'm going to link a couple of things here. One is the fact that during COVID, a lot of people became, came back to the idea of good and evil and came back to the idea of Christianity. I know people who were so yeah. shocked by the response, they came back to this by the absurd things that were happening. But yeah. also, the church let a lot of people down by insisting on masks and shutting down. And my question would be, I know a lot of people. So the, the, the uh, Rory, who does the clips for my YouTube channel, who's, who's brilliant, he's a Christian. My the designer who designs some of the thumbnails, Andrew is a Christian. And then I, I think about other people who work with me on things like our live show, Ben. He's a Mormon, which is like a Christian on steroids. And it's like, there are loads <laughs> of Christians I know. And then there's another lad at GB. And, a lot, and they're really great. And... But they say to me, so someone said to me the other day, well, the problem isn't it with the church now? It's outmoded because it's centralized and it's a central place in a town, whereas now everyone's getting everything from the internet and everything's dispersed. So my question is, you probably run a base church, but there's a lack of base churches. And there's a lot of young Christians who were nominally Christian, but they don't have a church. They may not even have a denomination. And I say, I'm kind of in this camp. And furthermore, a little addendum to that question, do we have to leave the Church of England because it's so woke? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, okay. So there's a lot there. 
please don't leave the Church of England. Um, that would be my <laughs> I, that would be my first uh, first sort of quick answer to that that's that second question. Uh, but and we can come back to that if 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 if, if you'd like to. But um, I think the the broader question is um, about the church. So I. I believe in the church 100%. You can't have the church without without Christianity. Uh, Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, there have always been enemies of the church, externally and internally. This is a reality which is predicted in the New Testament by Christ himself. You know, wolves in sheepskin clothing, many antichrists uh, have gone out into the world and all this kind of stuff. Read the New Testament. This is an expectation of Christ and of the writers of the New Testament. So there's a battle. The battle is out the battle's out there, but the battle is also in here as well. So so that's why I say, you know, don't leave. I mean, I understand why why people have to leave sometimes uh, their churches including the Church of England. Um, I understand that and I'm not unsympathetic to it, but but if you can, if you can, don't leave because we need faithful orthodox Christian believers in the church to fight for what is true. And if we if we abandon the church, then we then that's well that's precisely what we're doing isn't it we're abandoning it to the wolves and then they will come in and then they will devour the flock and that's not what we want so we want orthodox christian faithful believers to be in the church and to fight for it now i mean i could i could go i could go through all of the all of the reasons that that christ um instituted the church but uh, that might be somewhat tiresome i suppose what i would say is that um god God desires a people for him, for himself. You know, we're not we're not just we're not just individuals um, on in this earth, although we are. But but God calls us to be to be a people as well. You know, the body of Christ is the metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses in the New Testament. Uh, God desires a body on this earth, a corporate body that enacts His purposes and His will uh, in this world, and um, and He's endowed it with supernatural gifts. You know, the sacraments of the Church, uh, baptism and the Eucharist. Uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit among the people of God, uh, a people that gathers together to worship and, and praise God and to give him the honour that's due his name, uh, even when the rest of humanity are ignoring him and, and blaspheming him. And I could I could go on and I could go on and on about this. But 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 the church is a real thing. It was instituted by Christ. One further point about this, Nick, is that um, don't be don't don't allow your perception of the the Church of England as it is at the moment, to to colour your entire understanding of what the church is. The church is not the present day Church of England and uh, the pronouncement of a few woke bishops. The Church of Jesus Christ has existed for 2000 years. It is, uh, it is global, it is Catholic, um, it's not just on earth, but it's in heaven as well. All the believers who have, who have lived and died are now, uh, are now in heaven with God. So the church exists on earth now and it exists in heaven as well. Uh, the church will continue uh, beyond this time for as long as as long as history continues until Christ returns and it will it will ultimate it will ultimately number a multitude upon multitude there are false believers in the church there are people who are part of the institution the visible institution of the church who are not real believers and they will be exposed for what they are so uh, that would be the final thing I'd say about it focus on that spiritual reality of what the church actually is and not the manifestation of the visible institution the articles of religion of, of the church of England itself uh, article 26 of the 39 articles actually actually um, gives voice to this reality that sometimes I think it says naughty men will be will be in power in the church and unfortunately that is what we're 
what we see quite a lot of the time in the Church of England today. Uh, but as I say, there's nothing shocking here. This is, this is the reality. This is the battle we face. So we don't have to leave because Welby is a fool. We've, we've well, no, 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 we don't. No. And, it's, and that's what I'm saying. It's like it's, it's not a reason to leave. That's what people always say to me. It's like they say, they say to me, well, why, you know, how can you stay in the church when, when people are saying this, when they're talking about gay blessings? And I say, that's precisely the reason I want to be in this church, because I want to contend for the truth. And I don't want to abandon my, my people. You know, what's going to happen if I leave? You know, my people are just they're just they're just going to be they're going to be like um, they're going to be lambs to the wolves. You know, they they won't have anyone, and they'll they will be they will be exposed. So we have a responsibility. People who know the truth have a responsibility. If we abandon the truth, if we abandon the church, we're abandoning these people. Now, obviously, I I understand that sometimes you have to leave, and sometimes it goes too far. But I, all I'm saying is that there's got to be this reflex, which is no, like, actually, I'm staying here. Right. I'm staying. That's my basic. That's my basic commitment. It's like my marriage. Like I'm staying in my marriage. Right. There's no way I'm leaving. That's it. You know, and maybe something might happen, you know, that I mean, it won't trust me. But, you know, maybe something might happen that would would cause a divorce. But that's like last case scenario. You know, we've got to commit ourselves. And so, you know, there's no perfect church. You know, we can't we can't have this situation where we're leaving churches every five minutes just because there are a few heretics around. That's always the way the church is. So I'm, I'm ranting a bit here, but, you know. No, it's good. It's a great answer because a lot of a lot of young people seem to be struggling with this and, and, and even old people like me. So, yeah. Um, so, so on a, on a sort of slightly lighter note, but, on a, <laughs> but, but a similar topic, the church yeah. has watered itself down so much is a big problem, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the Church of England is so watered down as to become pointless, is yeah. what people are saying. Well, and yeah, someone, yeah. someone who said this is uh, Andrew Tate. What do you okay. think of Tate's criticism of Christianity and, and, and perhaps his conversion to Islam? Yeah. OK, so can I just say something about the Church of England just in its, its defence, just just first? Um, yeah. The Church of England hasn't actually officially changed any of its teaching about anything. So the, the and, and what the bishops are proposing at the moment with this same sex blessing thing is an, is a farce because they're saying that um, they're saying that they want to bless um, gay relationships. But this is, doesn't actually change the doctrine of the church. So whether they're actually going to be able to, to do this or not remains to be seen from a legal perspective. And it's my hope they won't be able to because it clearly does constitute a change in doctrine, even even though they're saying it doesn't. Um, but And then the other thing I would say about this is that there are lots and lots of faithful uh, priests and ministers and Christians in the Church of England, and there are lots of great Church of England churches out there. You know, don't get me wrong, there are lots of ones which I would say are more problematic, but there are still great people in the Church of England. There are still uh, great ministers in the Church of England. I've got, I've got, through my podcast, I met loads and loads of really based priests in the Church of England. So they're, they're out there and, you know, we, you know, we exist, right? And, and, and so you can, you might get lucky, is what I'm saying. You might get lucky and be, and be near a church like this. So don't, don't discount the possibility because they do exist. Um, so a question about Andrew Tate and his conversion to Islam. Um, and his critique of Christianity. So what? So his critique of Christianity being what? That it's weak. And it's yeah. It's basically that Christians themselves are not enforcing it. And he, his his claim is basically that Islam is the only religion that's left because it's the only one that enforces any of its boundaries and is and is respected and taken seriously. Yeah, I mean, look, I can see the appeal to 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 Islam uh, from from that perspective but i just think it's all, it's all the more reason why people need to be um, why christians need to be uncompromising in, in what we believe and there are plenty of there are plenty of uncompromising christians out there um, i mean 
the reason I'm not a Muslim is because I just don't. I, I mean, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. So I don't think Islam is true. I think it's. I think it's a false religion. You know, it denies Christ. It denies that Christ is the Son of God. It denies the resurrection, um, and it's it's got. Uh, well, it just it just is a false religion. So that's that's basically my criteria for whether or not I'm a Muslim. So I guess that's the more for me. That's the more. Um, that's the more pressing issue. But I think the... They do acknowledge Jesus in some capacity, don't they? Yeah, they acknowledge him as a prophet, but they specifically uh, repudiate him as the son of God. So I, I believe that the the mosque, you know, the Dome of the Rock has written on the walls of it, you know, God has no son. And this, you know, the, the Islam is, Islam is um, in its essence, a contradiction to Christianity. It's, it's antagonistic to Christianity because it denies the central claims of Christianity. And... Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, but but what I was going to say about the Andrew Tate thing is, I mean, I absolutely understand the appeal of Andrew Tate and people like him, because what they're saying is that we need we need clarity. We need um, challenge. Um, we need to commit ourselves to a cause which is righteous and worth fighting for. And I agree with all of that stuff wholeheartedly. I'm just saying that I'm just saying it's Christ. It's not it's not Muhammad. That's 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 what I'm saying. And there are plenty of there are plenty of examples of Christians throughout history who have have done some pretty based things in the name of Jesus Christ. And um, as I say, you know, you can focus on the the, the wet liberal, um, largely failing Church of England, uh, but you can also find great examples of inspirational people from the Christian world as as well. All right, brilliant. And. Um... When you here's a here's a really heavy question. You just said that um, when Jesus returns. I mean, what does that look like in your understanding? <laughs> That's a big one, isn't it? Just chucking at the end. Yeah, no, it's fun. Um, what does it look like? Well, um, so in the creed, uh, it says he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. So that's what Christ is going to do. He's going to come back and he's going to he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Uh, some will go to his right hand. Some will go to his left hand. Um, some will um, some will uh, awake to everlasting um, salvation. Some to everlasting judgment. I mean, you know, I'm speaking picture language. I think what will happen, just to put it a bit more sort of um, specifically, is um, Christ will return. I don't know what that actually looks like. Um, my understanding of it is is that the souls of the departed will will um, come with him in some way. Uh, and they will be and and the dead will be raised so all all human beings who have ever who have ever lived will be raised the righteous and the unrighteous which is uh, spoken about at the end of the book of the prophet daniel um the souls of the souls of the departed will come with christ they'll be reunited with their bodies and resurrected and everyone and everyone who's alive now and everyone who's resurrected will be judged by jesus christ he'll be the judge of all humanity and as i say some will be um some will be sent to everlasting condemnation. Some will be sent to everlasting felicity in the in the presence of God. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm sorry that might sound quite stark and politically incorrect, but that is the that is uh, it's it's as explicit on the on the lips of Christ as it is anywhere else in in the New Testament or in the Scriptures. So, yeah, I don't know. Is that <laughs> what do you what no, do you make of that? Well, I'm just thinking. I hope I qualify because. Um... I don't. I don't think of myself as a good person. So I often think, you know, sometimes I do when I look at other people. I think I, I think I'm not a good person. Then I look at other people it, it, these days and I go, well, I'm still better than a lot of them. So, but I just look at it and well, think, I hope I qualify. And it well, kind of reminds. 
Go on. I mean, just let me say, though, Nick, I mean, it's a really, really important point to say is that we don't, we don't, um, we'll never stand before God righteous according to our own deeds. You know, Christ, uh, Christ's death on the cross is about, is about him offering his life in exchange for us. You know, it's, it's the ultimate act of God's love for us. So, so we don't bring our good works to God. We, all, we, all we can give God is our faith. You know, that's all we can offer. That's all we can offer God is to put our trust in him and to put our faith in him. Now, we have to be faithful and we, we, have, to, we have to try and, and fulfill his calling in our lives as much as we possibly can. But ultimately, we are saved according to God's love and grace and faith. Um, sorry, his love and grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. And, and as I say, all you need is faith. That's all you need. Okay, yeah, well, that's handy. I mean, I oscillate on the on the uh, good person question, but the um, the the, the other thing that well, I mean, okay, so you've answered that. I was, perhaps it answers my next question because I was going to say there's a sort of pressure for Christians to be perfect, and we've just seen this again with Stephen Crowder, who you hear some of his behaviour towards his staff and things, and you think, okay, doesn't sound great. But he's now going through this divorce, and I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter about you know Christians shouldn't be divorced, and people kind of attacking him. But is there a kind of ridiculous expectation for Christians to be perfect? Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, maybe there is, but um, maybe there is. But I, I, I just don't think that necessarily that's very helpful. Look, we need. Um, just trying to think of how to answer this. Um, uh, so I was having a conversation with my son last night i mean being a parent brings this home to me in in multiple ways you know because uh, i've got four four children they're all six and under so it's a fairly chaotic environment and um you know i've just noticed about myself that i'm a very 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 impatient person <laughs> you know basically like having kids is that's one of the observations i've i've made about myself i can't treat my kids as kindly as i would like to you know i can't be as patient with them as i'd like to be and it's 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 uh, it's a really hard thing to notice about yourself that you can't even love your own kids. You can't even rise to that standard of loving your own children and not shouting them and being mean to them. It's it's a terrible thing. And so I so I said to I said to my Rafe, my son, you know, I was really honest with him because I got angry with him about something. You know, and I said to him, you know, I'm I am sinful you know you you may have done something wrong but i'm sinful as well and we're we're all sinful we're all sinful people we're all broken uh, we all do things which are wrong before god and we all need god's god's love and forgiveness and and that to my mind is is at the heart of the gospel and that's the thing that's actually that's the thing that actually transforms us as well that that though we are sinful god still loves us and accepts us and wants us he wants our pathetic contribution he wants that anyway so, so um, yes, we fail. Marriages fail, you know, and it's an awful thing when marriages fail. It's, it's, it's horrible, you know, to quote the, well, to speak like Jordan Peterson for a, for a moment, it's bloody horrible. You know, it's, it's like the worst thing you can possibly imagine. I've not had a failed marriage, thank God, but I've seen people who have, and it's awful, it's devastating. Right. But the message of the gospel is that even in that context, the grace of God still avails for you in your life. Right. And that grace is transformative and that grace is redemptive. And, and, and it's redemptive even in the context of absolute personal disaster. It's the power of God to save us and to heal us and to, to make us whole. So if people are condemning 
Stephen Crowder. I'm sorry, I don't really know very much about this this story. But if people are condemning him in the name of Christ, they need to they need to take a second look at what the message of the gospel actually is, because the message of the gospel is about human redemption. It's not about condemning people because they've lived left less than perfect lives. I mean, read the gospels if you think that that's the case. So All that's right. what wow. I Brilliant. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to top that. Maybe we should, maybe we should end because I think that's, gonna, that's a great ending. Um, where can people find you, Jamie? Uh, you mentioned your podcast, of course, Irreverend. So they can look for that on all platforms, I presume. Yeah, so Irreverend Faith and Current Affairs. Yeah, we are, we are, um, we are on YouTube, but, me, but uh, people basically pick us up most of the time on audio podcasts. So it's, it's absolutely everywhere. You know, it's on Apple Podcasts and all the major uh, podcast platforms we have a website as well so people can find us there most easily at revenpod.com uh, revenpod.com it's me and two other uh you know in inverted commas based vickers uh tom pelham and, and daniel french and we talk about the news it's kind of like a vickers version of um you know weekly skeptic really i mean we we, we have a little scripture section and stuff and uh, we respond to emails uh, uh, in most episodes as well but but basically that's what we do we talk about the news and we try and analyze it from a from a spiritual perspective it started when we when the covid thing was was kicking off you know tom and i started it because we wanted to say something different to what the institu- institutional church was saying uh, about about the covid19 situation um uh, but it's developed from there it's lots of fun so yeah irreverentpod.com if you want to find us all right and you're on twitter as well um what is your Twitter? <laughs> yeah, my, my, Twitter, my Twitter handle is jfronkel, uh, which I just is, uh, is not my name, uh, but J is in the letter J and then Fronkel, which I sort of, um, I, I sort of th- thought sounded like a kind of Germanic version of my actual surname, Franklin. So uh, J-F-R-O-N-K-L. So that's if you want to follow me on Twitter. I don't think my Twitter account is particularly interesting, by the way, but if you want to follow me, you can. Yeah, um, yeah, you made it quite hard for people to find you, but it's Jay Fronkel. So make sure you find that. And um, make sure you listen to the Reverend Pod. It's very, very good. They had a great interview with Peter Hitchens, and it's just very good in general. Very interesting. Thanks. Like you say, a vicar yeah. version of the Weekly Skeptic. Nick, can I, can I just say something before we, want to, before we end? Because there's something I wanted to say to you before we end, um, which I was thinking about earlier, is that I think it's really, really good how, you are, how you're really clear on the issues. I think particularly your pro-life um, statements on on the on the weekly skeptic and and elsewhere I think it's great that you say things like that because because a lot of the time people people are pro-life or they they have a problem with abortion but they're but they're scared to say it in public but you say it really really clearly and you know I, I think that's really important because because you have a public platform it gives it gives other people permission to go as far as as you go you know so it's a it's a it's a it's an example of leadership and, and courage. So thank you for doing that. And I think it's also really important when you in, when you correct Toby when he uses the you know the fake pronouns as well. Now I know Toby Toby is such um, Toby such a uh, congenial person that I think it's for him it's not even like it's not even an issue. He's just saying he's just trying to get his point across. So I'm not sort of criticizing him or anything like that. But I think that's really really important. You know when you when you know somebody refers to Dylan Mulvaney as she. And you say he, that's the right thing to do because you're because you're speaking the truth. So what I want to say, Nick, is like, I think it's great that you're doing that. I don't hear many people doing that in the public sphere, and I just want to commend you and say uh, to keep keep going, particularly with the abortion thing. You know, keep keep saying that and say it on GB News and wherever else you appear as well. Oh well, thank you very much. That's very nice. Yeah, I just happen to be like that for some reason. I mean, someone said to me the other day, 
are you high in disagreeableness? And I, you know, which is a psychological trait. And I said, no, actually, I'm actually reasonably high in agreeableness. I, yeah. I just, I, it'd be nice if I was. There's some people that seem to enjoy the conflict. You know, I get attacked on Twitter. I get, to, I don't enjoy it at all. I'm very, very sensitive. But I just have to. I've got a weird thing where I, I'm not trying to boast. I have to tell the truth for somebody. And yes. I thought everyone was doing this till I was about thirty, and it turns out they're not. Yeah. So I just, no. I'm just like that for some reason. So I don't keep, take too much keep credit. Going. Keep going. Thank speak you. the truth, regardless. Come what may, speak the truth about these things. Okay, I'll continue to do that. And thank you very much. And make sure you go to a reverend. Can I say one more thing, just as a little tip? Have you heard of this um, Tolkien movie, Jamie, which is called Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, A Catholic Worldview? Have you ever heard of that? No, I've not heard of that, no. It's a strange little movie I think people should check out. And we were talking about something much earlier in the podcast. And everyone should go to this clip, Lewis and Tolkien debate myths and lies. And it's, and it's two actors reenacting a discussion between Lewis and Tolkien about uh, Christ and why this story is true. Yeah. And so everyone should go to that clip. And I just wanted to say it because people might not have heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds great. I've not heard of it, but I'll check it out. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. There's so many things I could talk to you about. Like, I feel like I've got a whole other hour and a half, so hopefully yeah. we'll do it again. Well, I, yeah, listen, I'd love to do it again. And uh, we, you were going to come on a Reverend before, and I messed it up because I, well, I mean, it wasn't really messed up, but I was, I was genuinely unwell, and I was absolutely gutted about that. So I'd love to, I'd love to have you on, you know, for some banter with me and the other, the other two Revs at some point. So please, let's do that. Absolutely, we'll, we'll do that. All right, thanks, Jamie. Thank you.